Today's episode is brought to you by Yelp, whose mission is to connect people with great local businesses. They're also helping me connect with you, which is totally awesome. Now here we go. I couldn't really crack the code. So it was really about mentorship, to be very honest with you. You know, uh, I tapped into people that I knew and either studied their brands or knew them directly and asked them questions. You know, I would read business books and I would, you know, uh, work, work hard. And I basically, I knew that you, could, you one person can't be everywhere at once, but one as a brand, you can be. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the future of the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. If hosting this show has made one thing incredibly clear, it's that teamwork, data, and resources will be what help us thrive post-pandemic. Understanding that, Yelp and I have created a cheat sheet, offering insight into consumer behavior, popular trends, and free tools and resources to help you get open and stay open. You can download that guide at joshcopel.com forward slash resources. Didn't write that down? There's a link in the show notes as well. I'm not selling out. I'm buying in. Branding experts like Chef Jet Tila have created an all-weather strategy for ensuring they're able to provide for their families no matter what happens. The secret is in creating multiple revenue streams through diversification. It's not an easy process, but the end result looks pretty good these days. On this episode, Jet Tila takes us on his journey from executive chef to household name. Anyone that knows you knows you have an entrepreneurial spirit and your parents were entrepreneurs as well. Can you talk to me about their path after immigrating and what it was like for you growing up in their businesses? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, they, they, my, I come from very working class people. I mean, my father was was poor. My mother was middle class, barely. Um, they, they both immigrated to the, to the United States in 1966 separately. They didn't know each other. Um, and, you know, my father... Oh, came from a food background. So his 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 family comes from a place in China called Hainan. It's a very specific Chinese place with its own food culture. They moved to Thailand. Um, you know, uh, everyone was moving away from communism. Both of my family kind of went to, from China to Thailand. Uh, so they had a little Hainanese cafe in Bangkok to you know a little gathering point for Hainanese Chinese people. So my father moves to LA and creates a little gathering point for Thai people. Right. Because uh, he kind of grows up, you know, uh, code switching between Chinese and Thai. And we started the he started the Bangkok market, the first Thai grocery store in, in the country in 72. And um, so I think it, he did what his father showed him how to do because he was not educated at all. Uh, and move moving forward. And you can stop me at any point because it's a long story and I don't want to bore anyone. Um, my I my upbringing was basically everyday was steeped in my family's business because it's it started in 72. I was born in 75 just to give some context. So I was this little baby in this whirlwind of, 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 you know, starting a tiny little grocery store, but I quickly became an import company times two, um, a, um, one restaurant in 78 that became seven restaurants by 90 within 12 years. Um, and we were also in the agribusiness too. We were in the produce business. So, so my entire childhood was basically being babysat by employees and the businesses. Uh, and so my, my, my entire upbringing was, was like 
you know, <clears throat> concurrent apprenticeships as a grocery store kid, as a restaurant kid, um, as, as an import company flying to Mexico and, and the Central Valley. So uh, it was, there's, there was, there's no effect. It was, it was my upbringing. So it was no choice either. So it, it's very difficult to explain to people. I, I never had to wor- wonder what my path was going to be. Uh, it was one direction. How did that feel? Um, you know, limiting. I went out as a child, also claustrophobic as a child. Um, you know, I always, I often neglected as a child. Um, so it, it came with its own traumas. And I don't think it really... Uh, I don't feel like the benefits really revealed themselves until probably my twenties, maybe my late teens, because I was, I went to high school, dropped out, you know, worked a lot of odd jobs outside the business. Cause I just wanted to do anything I could to escape my family, you know, which was almost impossible. Um, I worked on a fishing boat for years to never be with my family. Um, so it, it started to feel interesting. Um, in my late, late, teens, early 20s when, you know, in my group of peers, you know, we still had to, I was a boat cook. So direct reflection of my family's upbringing. And then I started, I, I felt that I had a lot of skills and I didn't realize until that point that, wow, like I, you know, I knew commerce. I knew a little bit of accounting. I knew customer service. I actually could cook. Um, so it felt, started feeling good around my 20s. So you know, my parents really gave me the springboard to become who I am today, but but at the cost of the relationship with my family. So it, it's bitter and it's sweet at the same time. Right on. Let's fast forward a little. You got written up in the Times years later for hosting cooking classes at your mom's house. Um, yeah. Seeing and that's really where you saw your career path in hospitality, right? I was going to say, what I found interesting about that was after that, you decided to go to culinary school. And there are so many chefs that skipped the formal education at that point, right? You had already yeah. been written up at the Times. It's only up from there. Um, why was that formal education a priority for you? Uh, you know, I, I always felt like the Asian kid that wasn't, that couldn't quite assimilate, Right. Um, and I knew that I knew Asian food, like Thai food and Chinese food very well. Um, but I knew that in order, the world was a big place. And in order to be taken seriously by the broader culinary world, I needed to formalize my education. And even knew it then because, you know, I mean, I would, again, I, I'm a dropout and a troublemaker, but I always had context. I, I really consider myself self-educated because I knew that I needed in order to ever ascend further than, you know, a normal hospitality job, like even getting to an executive chef level, I knew I needed some credentials, formal credentials. So I knew culinary school was, was the next logical step for me. Uh, and you have this dream life because of it, right? Cookbooks, yeah. TV appearances. Um, you've branded yourself as a product. Um, yeah. and, and it's been a while since you've captained a restaurant. Um, do you miss it, especially in light of the pandemic? Could you ever envision yourself going back to it? Um, you know what? I, I, and again, it goes back to childhood trauma, right? Like the restaurant created an environment to where I never ha- felt a safe and loving familial kind of circle. So, um, 
restaurants then translate to a means to an end for me. So no, your simple question is, I ran restaurants up until I was 36. I was at the win for my last five year big push. And I, I, I'm good, man. Like, you know, uh, <laughs> I am so I'm okay. And in light of the pandemic, you know, I have friends now losing their businesses. But I saw from then, I mean, in my 20s, you know, running P&Ls on, on, on restaurants, you know, like it, none of it ever made sense. And that was the reason actually I went to win Las Vegas because, you know, I, I, I needed the, the protection of an institution right. um, on top of learning things. So, no, I don't miss it. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give you short, concise answers, you know, but. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> you certainly don't need to um, because the, yeah. the reason I brought you on the show is because you've done such an effective job of branding yourself. Um, and, and we, I said just before I started recording, I feel like it's made you recession proof, right? You have multiple mm. streams of income. You're not tied yeah. to a physical location. When, when did you have that idea and, and what really started you on that path? Because if we flash back to Vegas, you're, you're working at the Encore, I believe, right? Yep. Yep. Super corporate job. You know, you're clocking in, you're clocking out, yep. working your 80-hour work weeks. That's like, right. how do you go from that to, like, high-fiving Bobby Flay on a regular basis? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's put, put so eloquently. That's exactly right. <laughs> um, you look, I simultaneously, look, um, I knew that in order to, um, in order to, so let's go to Bobby Flay, right? I was constantly studying the brands, the chef brands, as I was coming up in the industry. You know, I worked for Neil Fraser in LA. Uh, he battled Cat Cora on Iron Chef. And so mm -hmm. Neil was one of the first brand studies, who also was a mentor and a good friend. Um, and then I moved forward, you know, I, I wanted to be Bobby. And I was thinking to myself, as I was coming up in restaurants, how does one transcend? How does one go, get up there? So you, you have, a person needs to become an institution. Right. And a person needs to be able to clone themselves, not literally, but, you know, how do I put my my imprint on something, get paid for while I'm sitting here with you, uh, you know, doing a podcast in Los Angeles, with, you know, with my family at home. Um, so I couldn't really crack the code. So it was really about mentorship, to be very honest with you. You know, uh, I tapped into people that I knew and either studied their brands or knew them directly and asked them questions. You know, I would read business books and I would, you know, uh, work, work hard. And I basically, you, 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 you can have one side. I knew that you, you, one person can't be everywhere at once, but one as a brand, you can be. You can be in multiple right. places at once and you can diversify. So my father taught me diversification, right? Because uh, I've already told you in these last in 10 minutes, he had a restaurant, he had a market, um, he had an import company and he had farms. So he, he also taught me about diversification and vertical integration. And so these were all little lessons along the way that, that were that were so important that resonated. Let's get granular, right? Let's let's yeah. pretend I can cook. <laughs> yeah, I sure, man. Yeah. Uh, so let's pretend I can cook, right? And I want that life. So I'm standing next to you. I'm working at the Encore. Uh, like, what were what were your first steps, right? Because you got to go on a show and compete, like right. a million other people out there. But there's only one you and everyone else is still a contestant, right? Yeah. So I would say, Josh, I would say, <laughs> you know what? You need to put your name 
out anywhere your restaurant. So I was at Encore at Wazuzu, small, what we considered casual dining at that time. No casual dining chef ever got any media placement nor national coverage right. nor television, right? Um, and that just holds true across the board, probably globally, right? These institutions want to stuff Josh, Chef Josh in this place because he's doing a killer job, making a ton of money, but Josh can't see his way out. So if you're standing next to me and be like, you need, every time you do an interview, you specifically need to tell them to place your name next to the restaurant. You need to go out for, on your days off, what I did was I'd clock out of work and every time there was a Vegas best list, you know what I mean? I would, I would write the editor. Personally, you got to go out and like press flesh. Like you got to get to know the PR people, right? And, and you need to tell, you got to schmooze your PR people to schmooze their PR people and leave a good taste in their mouth. And on top of that, you, the, I did people's jobs for them. You know, my first job at a culinary school was working for Russ Parsons at the LA Times. I, t- I learned how to write. Um, he edited me. I learned how to be a journalist, you know, at a very small level. And I would be like, hey, uh, you want to write a piece on the restaurant? I'll write. What, how many words? Do you have a thousand words? I'll write it. <laughs> you take credit for it. Right. So these are just little Brilliant. tips along the way that I would give. I would give whoever wanted to know. I'm an open book. Um, and TV, did you immediately go out? You got yourself an agent, you got yourself a manager. No. So in 99, um, I was teaching at the new school of cooking here in Los Angeles and, uh, and your food network just started blowing up and I luckily at the right place, right time. There was a, uh, um, I would teach like professionals, working professionals, how to relax and cook food at home. And I met this extraordinary group of of you know young producers soon to be mega or, or or big producers and there was this one gentleman who was shoot, doing a show for food network at that time and that was my first break after that um it was really just being in los angeles was at the right place at the right time working for really great chefs inserting myself into conversations of hey no one wants to do this tv bit i'll do it no one wants to get on camera i'll do it so so my first tv thing was 99 and then after that, uh, I did I did Iron Chef, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, and it was all I did. A, I did a decent enough job to where they asked me if I wanted to do more. And I said absolutely. So, so and then that's networking. And I think one restrictive mindset I see from a lot of chefs nowadays is, oh, those Food Network dudes are sellouts. I really cook. I'm like, all right. I mean, if you want to be a jackass and close off this entire world to yourself, then then feel free. You know what I mean? Well, and, and let's get into food, food production and all of that. Do, do you actually take an active role? Like, I know that there are chefs out there that are like bottling their own sauce with their names on it. Is that what you did or is it more of a licensing deal? Um, no, I, I, yeah, no, look, so again, you know, we talk about capacity, you know, I talk about capacity all the time, right? Um, I could, I could tie myself to one restaurant and work a hundred hours at it and not be able to do anything else. Right. I could bottle a sauce and who the, who the hell am I selling it to? Am I <laughs> slotted in grocery stores yet? Do I have a marketing plan? Do I have a broadliner to distribute? Do I have a co-packer? So no, I, I, I will always take less to do more and right. to have more capacity. So uh, while I was at Wynn, there was a company called Schwann's um, and you know, they're one of the largest frozen food companies on, in, in America, if not on earth. And um, they were shooting Top Chef. And, you know, again, it's about, it's about doing a really great job, inserting yourself politely and, and making willing things to happen. And they had a frozen food line they did Asian. I'm like, look, 
I can make better Asian than you guys can. And on top of that, I'll give you the recipe and I'll take, I just want a little skin in the game. I'll take no fees. Mm -hmm. And if it sells, what do you, what does it hurt for you? And that was the re the road to creating these big kind of, you know, uh, projects nationally, frozen food projects. That's incredible, man. Uh, so yeah. you've obviously made a lot of great choices along the way. That's how you ended up where you are. Um, any mistakes, any lessons learned that you'd be willing to share? I know everybody yeah. likes to be bulletproof, but no, dude, no, no. I've again, uh, you know, I, I still see myself as a kid who's just kind of guessed his way up. You know what I mean? So my mis one, my, one major mistake I made was the summer I, um, I left culinary school when I was graduating. And, you know, I asked Russ, who's the editor of the LA Times, I said, could you, I'd love to work in some of these really marquee restaurants in LA. He writes a letter um, to Mark Peel. And at that time it was, um, oh my God, help me out here. Um, Campanile. Uh -huh. And, you know, and so I really made a mistake that summer. I was thinking, oh, dude, I'm killing it in cooking classes. I've got like five jobs around the, the city. You know, I'm, I'm doing well for a 20 something year old kid. And I kind of blew off Mark Peel. And that was a stupid, one of the stupidest things I've ever done. Oh. And uh, yeah, I was like, Mark, I can come work for you, but um, you know, I need this day off. I need that. He was like, you're an idiot. And I could hear it. <laughs> and I was an idiot. So looking back, I broke one of my own rules was about, you know, find phenomenal mentors. And he would have been a great one because all the great chefs over the last 20 years that went through Campanile and then Nancy Silverton. So that, that's a big one that I will regret for a very, very long time. And secondly, I got the job at Wynn the same time I had a loose offer to go to Google in Shanghai. So I don't, I'll always wonder what would my life be like if right. I took took this big corporate job. So, so those are my two things that keep me up at night sometimes. I'll think of others, but those are two big ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and you brought, you bring up mentorship with regularity. What I, what I would like to you know, there are a ton of people listening, I'm sure that look up to you. Who do you look up to? Who do you think is doing it really, really well? Whose hustle do you respect? Man, I, I am not trying to like kiss asses to the dudes that are in my circle, but these three men really have taken me aside Right. So Bobby Flay, obviously, you know, um, we met on set a few times, but we literally will, will regularly check in and I'll check in. And um, so he, he is the chef entrepreneur that I aspire to be. He's also the most fearless man I've ever known. And one day I'd love to get him to tell the stories that he's told a bunch of us in the inner circle about how fearlessly he's lived his life as a chef and an entrepreneur. So um, Alton Brown for his, just genius and media savvy. So we would shoot Cutthroat Kitchen together. And um, afterwards, he would take me aside and we would spend time on, I'd be like, I want the no BS breakdown of how my performance was. Because I know that our jobs, we switch jobs with performers, right? And he would literally give me hours and hours of true media coaching. And this is from the best in the world. And then the last one would be Guy Fieri. And uh, he, 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 he's also like that, that globalized brand, right? But when to get one-on-one -on -one time to understand licensing and marketing, there's no, there's a, there's no one bigger in my world. 
I mean, I wish I knew Gordon Ramsay as well as I knew these three gentlemen, but uh, I know these three men. I text them on a regular basis. They take me under their wing. Um, but I, but I've already mentioned a few like Russ Parsons is a massive mentor. You know what I mean? But I look up to those three guys. Uh, what were your goals prior to the pandemic? So it's January, 2020. <laughs> like, this is going to be the best yeah, year of dude. my life. We came into this with the most busiest year in my, in team Tila's like history, right? Our plan, what was the plan? You know, uh, we just kind of emerged with Payway group for 120 restaurants. Um, you know, uh, TV, we're shooting, looking at pilots to, to, to write and create together. Um, you know, the consulting side of it. So I, I consult with NBC Universal and DreamWorks and, and Compass Group, these big global companies. I was on the road, you know, three days, two days every week. Um, and, you know, it just, that, my goals, our goals, were, our goals were growth, right? And also social media strategy was, you know, yeah, get to the certain amount of followers by creating content at home at, at the same time. So, uh, you know, so half of that business is gone, maybe 60%, right? Productions are slowed. Right. Um, we're, we're trying to figure that out. Appearances are done. Like that business has went from like, you know, I don't know, 100 appearances a year to like well, maybe 20 via Zoom or, you know, Hangout or FaceTime. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the restaurants are we're actually doing pretty decently because we've kind of re, 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 restructured and created some, some you know, solutions. So we're, we're going to be down. Our group is going to be down about 60% right now. So maybe, maybe, maybe a little less than that. But again, it's about creating that recession proof, you know, hopefully um, uh, a strategy by diversification, you know. Now, is that revenue, is that revenue lost or is it postponed? That's a good way, a good question, right? Um, I would say appearance is lost because all the corporate partners that we would appear with, they're having massive, you know, uh, revenue shifts, right? Um, so that's, I would say probably most, half of that is lost, you know, um, just momentum is, has been really, really impacted. But, um, you know, uh, that's a good question. So you see, I think it's, it's mostly lost. Now, now have there been any opportunities, right? Any pivots? You're a household name. Yeah. Everybody's in their house. So <laughs> yeah, man. Um, the, the online virtual beaming into people's offices. So we've, yeah, that, that was huge. We've, we've done the Googlers. We've done Netflix. We've done NBC. We've done a bunch of private institutions. So that's been the pivot. Um, you know, we picked up a few, you know, licensing and market, marketing opportunities. So those that, that's been fascinating. The whole, we're doing our food network live, that platform. I've, I've, I've beefed up the internet backbone here at the house and invested in a bunch of equipment. So, you know, like it's been, it's been, it's been interesting to watch how food media has adjusted. Well, and the loss of momentum is, is considered a negative, but at the same time you slow down, which gives you time to reflect right on, yeah. on your life, both personally and professionally. Have there been any aha moments for you? Yeah, you know, personally, I have, I think there's a common thread in a lot of like 
people like you, me, people in our industry, you know, we, we have this addiction to work and success and it, and this comes also into the mental health, you know, conversation, which is a, in my opinion, there's a, there's a book to be written or, or about how mental health has either fueled us to be high achievers, but what the downside of that is. So, you know, I, the trauma that, that I came from in terms of familial trauma, you know, uh, has prioritized finding a balance between family and business. Mm -hmm. So I've said no to a lot of work in my last decade of being married. I didn't get married until super late. Um, so yeah, so with the, 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 the realization and, and the, the positives out of COVID has been, you know, really spending quality time with my family and myself and really kind of thinking about and, and, you know, dialoguing and finding, you know, uh, intimacy and love between my family and myself. And it's, it's the boring stuff that no one wants to hear about, but if you're a high achiever and you, and you're stuck in this cycle of winning, it, it's an important conversation because I have a lot of colleagues and friends who are, are, are very wealthy and very successful, but unhappy. So, so, so COVID, you know, I, I prioritize family and, um, you know, I've found, I found, I found a lot of happiness in being home these last five months. Me too, man. I, you know, I look <laughs> at it as this like great shedding, right? There's so many, there's so many amazing opportunities that have presented themselves through the pandemic that I've just said no to, but no, I don't want right. to do that. All of these, you know, hey, you know, you can have my restaurant for $5 and a high five. No, I'm good. Man. Yeah. I don't need another job. I got a job. And, and there have exactly. been so many, right? It's like this great yeah. shedding, this great realization of everything that is non-essential. Mm -hmm. um, and and in that true. way, it, it's a gift, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, we time, time with myself to reflect on the current state of where it's basically like forced meditation. You know what I mean? Am I going to make the yeah. best of this time or am I not going to make the best of this time? So we've signed some deals. We're writing a new cookbook. Like I'm hanging out with my family. You know what I mean? So it, it's really, a, it's not a choice whether you survive or not, because there's a lot of circumstances where people don't have that choice. But for me, you know what I mean? Like I, I'm making the best of this time. What are you most excited about as, as we come through and out of this pandemic? Um, you know, the shedding, like you said, is unfortunate. It's not, it's not my doing, but there's the people who survive are going to prosper. I feel right. Um, you know, fast casual, our payway restaurants are, are going to come out of this and, you know, and I, I don't want to say, I, I don't want to look forward to people not surviving. Right. But I have to, as a, entrepreneur and a strategist have to understand how to come out of this and you know uh, unfortunately the the there's going to the people who survive are going to the the pot's going to be there like bigger do you know what i mean the, the the market is going to the share is going to increase because of competition is going to decrease unfortunately um what else do i look forward to uh you know maybe we've also lost to learn to how to work from home a little more yeah. and uh, if i don't need to fly across the country every other week then that would be cool. Um, but you know, I am, I'm terribly pained for my colleagues that are, are, are hurting though. I mean, and I know quite a few who, you know, there's nothing worse than firstly a family member being hurt or harmed or sick. And after that to an entrepreneur, the second thing that hurts the most is 
your business or businesses me hurting. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that makes you just as crazy sometimes. Well, and on that note, there are so many restaurateurs and chefs listening right now. I like to end the show by asking, do you have any words of advice or encouragement for the folks listening? Oh, you know, I'm never the one to think that I've experienced so much in my life that I could speak for somebody, but, you know, um, or, or to, to, to give advice, but, um, you know, this, I've been alive long enough to see cycles come and go and this will pass. And, and, you know, if, if you, if you can find a way to get through this, there is light at the end of the tunnel and, and, you know, and we'll take the lessons from this and, 08 and the double zeros and the internet bubble and and hopefully you can sock it into uh, to your your memory banks and 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 you know move forward learning these lessons and it'll it'll get better it really will that's chef jet tila to see what team tila is working on next go to chefjet.com If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, check out our video content, or read our weekly blog, go to joshkopel.com. That's J-O-S-H-K-O-P-E-L.com. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.